Good morning, guys. I'm really thankful that you're here. Thanks for taking some time to uh, tune in with us this morning and connect with us. I know that it's difficult. It's a bit different, uh, but I do think it's so important for us to be consistently connecting with one another however we can. And I think that God really does have some stuff for us in this season of lockdowns and isolations and the cold and all that. It's, it's, it's easy for me, at least, to turn, to turn inward and to become pretty dark. And, and, and I think that these are good opportunities. These are good reminders. The rhythm of the Sunday morning church is a good awakening for me every day to God's new possibilities, what he wants to do this week, what he wants to do in your life, the things he's got in front of you. And so I just want to say thanks for putting in the effort and connecting and giving us your feedback. We really appreciate it. And if you are just willing to spend a few minutes with me this morning as I start to get my training wheels back under me and, and try to figure out how to communicate and preach, like it's, it feels like it's been forever. My life's changed a lot since the last time we spoke. That was a few months ago, a few weeks, I think, before Till's born. And since then, it feels like a lifetime ago. And yet, not much has changed, really. We're still in Matthew, uh, and we're still learning that God's good. And, and so I would love to just spend some time with you this morning and, and look at the words of Matthew in chapter 5. And I think that God has some stuff for us in there. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, then uh, I would love for you to pull them out. If you don't, you can pause me. You can literally pause me, and you can go get whatever you need. Get a coffee, get some food, get your Bible, and, uh, and we'll work through this together. And it should be pretty quick. I don't, I don't think this one's going to go for very long, I promise. So we've been in the book of Matthew for quite a while now, particularly following the teachings of Jesus in what we call uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I found this series to be extremely life-giving and helpful in my own personal discipleship walk. But also, I think, communally, as a church family, I think that Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount here have offered, have illuminated to us a better way, a best way of living, the best life that reflects the kingdom reality that I, I think that we've all been saved for, saved for. I say that intentionally because I've become more and more convinced that, that to, to what we've been saved is equally as important as to why and how we were saved. To what we've been saved is equally as important to how and why we were saved. See, Jesus seems to believe that life in the heart of God's plan is more than just a waiting room for a reward, but instead is a field to work and a kingdom to establish. That we've been saved, that we've been res rescued, not just to wait in line for some reward that eventually will come if you're thinking about heaven, but rather we've been saved to something. We've been saved for something, some work that needs to be done, an invitation for us to join with the creator of the universe who's working away and bringing about redemption in his world, and we've been saved to join him in that. That's what we've been saved for, not just saved to something. And so we've been working our way through, through the Beatitudes, our Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus outlines a number of different people who should be considered 
blessed. And, and most of these people who are, are, are not who you would think they are. The, they're not the top dogs. They're not the, the most powerful, the, the rich, the proud, the wealthy. It's not those people who should be envied. Jesus seems to think that it's those who mourn, who hunger, who thirst. Not the conquerors, but the peacemakers. And so we get a glimpse of the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom, that, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first mentality. The way that Jesus sees things, the way that he's structured and ordered his kingdom is a bit upside-down. Things are not exactly how you would expect them to be. And so to walk the path of discipleship, these are ideals that we should set for ourselves and for each other. To be people of peace, to be pure in heart, to be merciful. And in this way of living lies what I believe to be the mission call, the path to walk for every disciple of Jesus. If we're to be people of the kingdom, then may our lives look like this. People to be envied. I'd love to just take a few minutes with you this morning wherever you are, however you're listening, and really engage with what Jesus says next. But first, I'm just, I would love to pray. If you would pause and pray with me for a minute. God, thank you so much for another opportunity we have to, to gather together, even if it's online. I just want to show my appreciation for that and, and, and focusing on the good things that we have. And God, thank you for your word and what you've revealed to us. Thank you for everything that Jesus said and, and his teachings. God, would you help illuminate in us the reality of who you are and who we are and who you've called us to be. And then God, would you help us have the courage to illuminate that in other people? Would you help us to find a way to do that this morning? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So following the typical Beatitudes, Jesus moves on to two examples, two metaphors to for, further illustrate a, what a kingdom life looks like. See, John covered the first half last week so wonderfully. Salt, salt. Matthew 5, 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We learned last week that salt wards off death and decay and it brings out flavor of whatever it's being sprinkled on. Whatever's being salted, is, is flavor is pulled out. And in a similar sense, the, the call of the life in the kingdom is to be an agent of life. An agent of life, arresting the, the spread of death and decay in the world around us. The very death that Jesus put to death. The death that was in our hearts that Christ put an end to. Now we must go and be the salt of the earth. Halting decay in our neighborhoods. And in doing so, we restore what Eugene Peterson calls the, the God flavors to our reality. That as we go around halting the spread of death, the death that was in you and me, that Christ put an end to, 
Now we become agents of salt, <laughs> the agent of life, and arresting the spread of that death in our communities. And in doing so, we restore the God flavors of reality, that life becomes better, more full, more true, the way it was meant to be, worth living. The cup overflows. These are the God flavors of our world. So to be the salt of the earth is to stop the spread of death in our lives and in our neighbors' lives and in our neighborhood. Not just physical death, but spiritual death and experience the best life. Life in the kingdom, laboring alongside the king in his redemption, restorative project. That is what it means to be the salt of the earth. That's just a quick summary of what John covered last week. <laughs> and so now we come to what's going to be our text this morning, just for a few minutes. Our text this morning, Jesus' second metaphor, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You, you are the light of the world. So I decided to do some research this week on, on light. And I read this really thrilling article entitled, A Brief History of Lighting. <laughs> Trust me, the article felt anything but brief. Re try reading an article on you know, the world's history of, of light. Not light as in like science, but lighting like light bulbs. It was, it was awful. It was awful. But in the first century... Roman world, typical lighting was done by bundling sticks and, and smearing pitch on them in order to create torches uh, that would provide lasting light whenever the world got dark. And remember, just a week or so, a week or two ago, when the power went out, do you remember that? And it went out right around dinner time, right when the sun was setting. And all of a sudden, I mentioned, I mentioned to Hope that, that I'd never realized how dark it was actually getting. See, the sun was setting, but, but I'd never noticed that because our lights were on in the house. See, as humans, we've artificially created our own kind of time zones where we stay up as late as we want. Last night, you don't even want to know what time of the night I was up. It, I can stay up as late as I want because I've got a light. I can flick on the light, right? But, but before modern lighting, when, when the sun set, it got dark. It got dark. And so in the ancient world... There was darkness. And I was thinking about this as, as the power went out. And I remember the power goes out and it gets dark. And for a while, I just sat there on the back road. If you, if you didn't live on the back road, you got your power back a lot earlier than us. And the snow was buffeting against the window and there's darkness all around. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember that feeling of the first light breaking through on a morning gloom? Do you remember what that's like? A gloom dark, heavy night, and that first ray of sunlight just piercing through the darkness as it breaks the horizon. Do you remember that? What about power that returns after a blackout? 
And all of a sudden, all the lights that were on before the power went off, they all immediately, they all turn on. In the ancient world, when the sun set, there was darkness. There was no electric lights, no switch, no generator. All you had were your torches. And in the darkness, a single light can become a focal point. Like, what is happening over there? I can see, I can see a light. What's going on over there? It stands out in the darkness. As illuminating as a single light can be in a dark room. A city is a stronghold of light. See, countless number of torches, meaning people, gathered together to light up the world around it. And set on a hill, the city would have provided safety and a waypoint to those in the wilderness. When the world gets dark, the city on the hill shines even brighter. To the outside world in darkness, you could see you could see the city on a hill. This is where I, I could try if I worked at a different church with a different group of people. I could try to make uh, an example out of a lighthouse, but I'm not going to do it because you guys will all know that I will butcher it and you'll never let me live it down. But just imagine the function and role of a lighthouse in the darkness to someone lost at sea. A city on a hill. When I was in college, I made a lot of 12-hour long drives from New Brunswick back home to Ontario. And uh, usually, by the end of that drive, it was dark. I was either getting home really late, or I was arriving early, early, early in the morning, like middle of the night. And I remember that feeling of driving through the night, but knowing that I was getting somewhere close to home. And then I crest that final hill, and all of a sudden, my hometown lit up in full view. The horizon just sparkling with all of the familiarities of my, of my childhood home. I remember that feeling, the feeling of, of going home, going where you belong, safety, a beacon in the night. Perhaps, perhaps you feel that way when you turn the corner into Seal Cove after a long trip to North Head, if the fog's not there and you can actually see where you live. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember the darkness that was your life, that was your heart, before you came under the rule of King Jesus? I do. I do. So the world around us sometimes can seem so dark, and the world inside us can seem even darker sometimes. And Isaiah 9-2, he says this, he puts it this way. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those, landing in, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We just came out of the Christmas season, and I've been working my way through Isaiah, and it's been so powerful. Jesus even refers to himself as the light of the world in John 8, 12. And yet here we see him speaking to his disciples saying, you are the light of the world. So Isaiah calls Jesus the light. Jesus calls himself the light. And now he says to his disciples, you are the light. This mantle that's being passed, the, the invitation that's being offered, this life that's being shared, Jesus Christ, the very light of the world, calling us the light of the world. 
illuminating our lives to the reality of his kingdom and charging us to go forward, joining him in illuminating a world in darkness. It's important here, I think, really quickly to recognize uh, that, that the you here, you are the light of the world. You, he's speaking you, that you, it's not singular. It's plural. It's a corporate you. It's as if I, we were all here in this room together and I imagined you all and I said you, like I'm speaking to everyone together, you, this is a corporate, it's a plural you. And by that mean, by that I mean that Jesus is, is, isn't so much speaking to you and me as individuals, but rather to us as a community. He's speaking to us as a family. You, as a family, you are the light of the world. The difference between a single torch and a city of lights is the community and the people. And in this, I think we learn that discipleship in the kingdom was never meant to be lived alone. It's not a mountain you were meant to climb alone. It's not a path you were meant to walk. It's not a long night you were meant to suffer by yourself. Discipleship in the kingdom was never meant to be walked alone. And I think our founder here as a Wesleyan church, John Wesley, he says, holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. That to, that to follow Jesus is to be in community with one another and to pursue the kingdom life together, social holiness, not solitary holiness holiness. That holiness and discipleship are meant to be lived out and practiced together in community with one another. That's to be a light, is to do it together. So now we know that we've been called to be people of light, but what exactly is that light and how do we live in it? How do we do it? Well, Matthew will let you know in verse 16 how we do this. He says, see, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So they may see your good works. So it's good works. Good works are the light. It's how we live. It's the continuation of Jesus' teachings. If you're going to follow, if you're going to be a person in the kingdom, if you're going to be a disciple who follows me, then this is how you live. This is the Beatitudes. This is the light that shone on the community around us. That as a world in darkness looks at your life, looks at my life, and looks at our lives and how we treat one another and we follow Jesus together, they would see a blazing light of hope and life in an ocean of overwhelming darkness. But not just your life and not just my life, but our life. Our life as a family of believers and how we treat one another would illuminate hope as a city on a hill. Often I think we're hesitant to show all our, you know, all the good things we do our good works. We don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves because we're afraid we'll like it too much. We try to be humble, and so we don't broadcast good things. And that has good, good reason. There's good merit to that. One of the things that I've been excited about is uh, we've been announcing over the last few weeks 
how much money you guys gave generously. And uh, we've been really excited to be able to take a lot of that, tens of thousands, and give it away. And I also love that a lot of you won't know everyone who gets all the money. And that's kind of cool, right? It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. So often we don't like, we keep things private, whether it's selfish reason or good reason. We don't want people to see all the good works that we do because we want to be humble. And so the difference, I think, here between being a person of pride and being a person of light is who receives the glory. See, if you're a person of pride, you want, to see every, you want everyone to see what you're doing. I want everyone to see me hold the door, be patient, you know, go the extra mile, try really hard, put out all this great content when everyone knows I'm tired because I want them to come and say, you're doing a great job, Adam, and we love you. Thank you so much. And that, and that kind of boosts my ego a little bit maybe. That's, a, that's a being prideful. If I'm a person of light, it's all about who gets the credit. Who gets the glory? Am I living to glorify myself or am I living to give glory to God. Because I can do the same thing and give glory to two different things, right? I could take the glory for myself or I can allow it to go to the only one who deserves it. It's about who is receiving that glory. And a life in the kingdom is about giving glory back to the only one, to the only one who deserves it. That, that I might become less and he must become greater. These two metaphors, salt and light, they so perfectly capture the, the call of the kingdom to all would-be disciples that just as salt needs to be on something in order to be of use, you, you keep salt in a shaker and it doesn't do anything. If you want salt to be active in doing something, it has to be involved with close contact on top. It has to be involved and active in order to be of use. So should we be active and involved and present in our world in meaningful ways, engaging in our communities, not forsaking each other because of our shortcomings, not just giving up on the world around us and hoping some, for some better long-off future reward that, that's just going to replace all of the suffering now. No, salt is the challenge to get involved. Get your hands dirty. Get in the community around you. Be a person who's present and investing in and bringing out the flavors of God in your community and stopping the 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 progression of death. In that way, salt is involved. And as salt needs to be involved and active in, so light must be distinct from. A light source must be contrary to the darkness around it. Stark and unique. Obvious that to live a life in the kingdom is to be different. It's to stand out. That discipleship is not a secret life, but a publicly ostracizing call to come and die to myself. To be different. Active in, and yet distinct from. Active in, and yet distinct from. This is the kingdom life. Identifying with our neighbor in their suffering, yet revealing a better way. 
in this, I think we capture but a glimpse of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, who, who being in very nature God, distinct, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, active, like me, and yet something wholly other, salt and light, active in, distinct from. Life in the kingdom is to submit ourselves to the rule of King Jesus and pick up our own cross and die to ourselves. And I think in this way, we take on the life of the resurrected son. And in that life that's given to us, we are now challenged to offer that life and light to our neighbors. So how do we be people of light in our communities? We'll go back here and we'll end on this. Good works. Good works. I know we don't want to be people who think that we're saved by works. We know that we're saved by faith alone, not works. However, works are the upkeep of our faith. Have you ever met someone who said that they follow Jesus, but then everything they do shows the opposite? Did you really believe them when they said they did? We want to be people who do as Jesus said, go and sin no more. Now you can only do that because of the grace of God and it's a constant struggle and a constant challenge. And that's why we must come to the end of ourselves, die to ourselves, submit ourselves to the rule and reign of King Jesus and take on his kingdom life. Yoke ourselves to him so his life leads our lives. And I think in that is the secret way to be able to love our neighbors every day, to die to ourselves, to be active in, yet distinct from. There should be something different about me in the world around me, and I can only do that, those good works, being a person of peace, who's kind and patient and forgiving and loving and slow to anger and generous and all of the good things that we hold up as ideals, that can only be attainable if God is in it and I am becoming less so he can become greater. This week, I just want to challenge you, and I'll challenge myself. I know it's hard with all the different shutdowns and the isolations and the restrictions. Even if it's something as simple as reaching out on Facebook, call someone, text somebody, email somebody. If that's all you can do, that's okay. Message someone. If there's something between you and someone else, would, you, would, we, would we find forgiveness on that this week? If it's not, maybe we, maybe we reach out to someone and, and, and we offer to pay for their groceries for a day. I think that God has a lot of things that he would want us to do if we would just be a little more creative and get up and, and try to do them. Would you reach out to someone and just ask them how they're doing? Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you care about them. Tell them that you're praying for them, that you're thinking about them. Ask them how you can help. There's people in our community who need us. And I think that God has put these great things in front of us, these good works that we get to do. The invitation is that we get to go and do those things. We get to chase them down if we just have the courage if we just have the courage. 
and set aside our need to get the glory. God, would you have all the glory? God, I wanna challenge you guys this week to be people of light, to be people of light, distinct from yet active in our communities, different, but a shining beacon, a testimony of what the power of God can do in your life and what you can offer to your neighbors as they want to seek out the same life that we shine with. Thank you.